Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. This is another brand new episode of the Cocktail Hour featuring Sam and Matt. Uh, in my glass right now is a bottle of Baker's Seven Year Single Barrel. Uh, Matt, what's in your glass? Uh, I'm being lame and uh, just uh, drinking some Four Roses. There's just standard. Nothing good. wrong with Four Roses. Well, no, there's not. Uh, I'm just uh, but you, the Baker's Seven Year. I will admit, I've only had one glass. It was fantastic, and I've that's one of those uh, bottles I've picked up like off a shelf three or four times. And then remember, this is the coronavirus economy. We should all probably scroll away money and have not purchased it. So uh, um, I've had this one since uh, I want to say November, and didn't open it until yeah. actually until the coronavirus uh, pandemic sort of entered into everything. And it's just like you know what, like I need to start opening some of this stuff that I've had for a while. Um, well, the the four roses, like we have an upstairs bar, and then like we have. Uh, we call it the Bassett Bunker, but really it's like our like crash area in the basement, and we've got like a small like selection of bottles down here. So it's uh, Four Roses is one of them that's in the basement. So uh, I cracked it open uh, just because it was like, eh, is that a yellow or, well. or small batch? Uh, just a just a traditional yellow, not nothing fancy, uh, just the standard one, which I would recommend anybody to get. Uh, I got it for twenty nine bucks at Kroger, so uh, it was a nice little pickup. I am a big fan of uh, all things Four Roses. I think actually our last pod, I was drinking the Small Batch Select. Um, you, you were. Which is their... I was jealous of you. Their uh, kind of higher end. I think around town it's uh, mid to upper 50s, which isn't too bad. Um, That's what it's going for here. Yeah, and honestly, well worth it. Uh, the Baker's is really good. Um, I, I like it a lot. It's got a, a nice little flavor profile, good notes of vanilla, uh, a little leathery. I like it. Um, if given a choice, Matt, I think I would go Four Roses Small Batch Select. They're, I think they're pretty equal price points. I think the Small Batch Select might be a little better. Um, but this is actually uh, not the cocktail hour. We're, we're, I'm going to joke with that intro until we actually have live sports again. Um, this is an episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, we are 25 episodes into Season 3. Who knows? 
Who knows where we are? And uh, Who knows? and Mizzou basketball, all the things that are happening, not happening. Um, coaches are still Could recruiting. Potentially happen. Uh, apparently, Axel Congo is getting dunked on on Twitter um, by literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes. Uh, by a former Mizzou recruit, uh, Terrence Hargrove Jr., is a guy I think both you and I sort of kind of wish was on the Tigers roster, um, but ended up at SLU. Mizzou kind of stopped recruiting him, and uh, he really wanted to be close to home. Um, I think I think his mom, if I remember correctly, has uh, yeah, so, she has some health, yeah, some issues, health and... issues and has trouble traveling, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, um, being at SLU is honestly a really good thing for him and his family. Um, family can get out to see him play a bunch, and um, he's still an exciting looking athlete. Uh, while we are a Mizzou pod, we uh, we can uh, both uh, voice our uh, appreciation for Yuri Collins and Terrence Hargrove. I think we both like those guys. Both think those are really good pickups, and I and and we enjoyed watching we enjoyed watching them play hoop. Uh, I think they've got two really nice young players over there. I will say, like I do, I do think that Yuri is probably a better fit for the A10 than he would be for the SEC. Um, SEC is a rough league, man. Uh, I think Hargrove is athletic enough that he would be fine there, but um, and and big enough. But it is a a, a physical league. I remember um, talking to I think it was uh, Jordan Geistad, who just said that each year by the end of the year, Jordan was just like worn down. Uh, by how you know physical and athletic the league is, it's it's just a it's a rough league. Yeah, the uh, SEC's foul rates are usually one of the highest in the country. Um, usually, as one of the uh, at least offensively, uh, the tempo is pretty pretty perky. So you're getting knocked around a little bit. There's some up and down aspects to it. It's it, it's not quite the Big Ten in terms of physicality and where refs will let you just kill each other, but it's it. It's stout, uh, to say the least. Yeah. So uh, since our last pod, it's been two weeks. Um, actually, shortly after I think we recorded, uh, Anton Brookshire decided to commit to the Tigers. What was the timing on that? Do you remember? Uh, it was about a week afterwards, but I think we had heard kind of rumblings. We heard rumblings that that might be in the pipeline a couple of days after we recorded, and then there were... Uh, then, it, you know, they ha- obviously an offer had to be made. There were, had to be some discussions and stuff like that that have to happen before a guy um, officially pulls the trigger. But I think, yeah, that had been kind of in the works for about a week. Um, and then it are going on about a week now since that commitment happened. So it was, it was kind of in the pipeline. It was in process yeah. after we recorded. Uh, your thoughts on the commitment? I know uh, you had some initial kind of uh, things that you pecked out, you know, once the commitment happened. Um, anything you want to flesh out? Uh, I I think this is this is the one time of year where I wish you know obviously we wish we had a live period you know we all you know I think coaches you know you know wonks like us wish we had it but especially for a guy like Brookshire um, who has uh, always measured out or at least been reported to be about six foot one fifty five. I'd heard that he had grown a couple of inches and that there might be another growth spur on the way. So for me, it was just to like see him live and on, you know, on the hoof and see kind of what he looks like physically would have been really great because I think skill wise, you and I agree. There's, there's a lot to like about him. Um, I think he's a guy who, if you really go dig through his film and not like YouTube kind of highlight clips, but you go to his huddle and you watch, you know, a guy parked with a camera at midcourt and you watch, you know, boring, kind of just bland, what would be boring and bland tape, you know, a lot sticks out about him as a guy who can, you know, be crafty on the ball. And, you know, a guy who I think is savvier than people realize working off the ball. Um, I think that he's kind of got that flexibility to be a really good combo guard. And if he's six, two and still growing, you know, I think this is a really, really good pickup. Um, I, I think, He's he's got all the skills that that you want in that position, and if you get a little bit more size and you give him, you know, over to Nicodemus Christopher and you get, you know, some some good mass and some good strength on him, I really think this is this is a high you know a high ceiling pickup for them. So that's I just want to start there. I think, you know, physically and you know just you know when you 
when you see his kind of physical profile, if, if that's improving, man, I, I really like I really like what they've done here in terms of getting him on the board early. So yeah, I can't remember which site has him listed at, at what height, but I think I think two two four seven I think has him at like six foot. Um, yeah, and it, and even on their site, he's ranked one sixty seven. Is that right? Yeah, in the compo- yeah in the composite. Um, and that feels like, I mean, it feels like when you watch him play and and you see him compete even like against Oak Hill, which you know, it's loaded with four and five star players. Um, you you have to think that if he were six two, six three, possibly six four, that that's a guy that's a top one hundred player. Um, you know, then the conversation around picking up a guy like that is uh, you've got a cornerstone for your class, or a, uh, in a four man class, that's a guy you want to hit, you want to start off with. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting to me because like one of the things I feel is often overlooked is individual development when you talk about when you talk about all these like all these guys guys develop at different ages um, you know and not just with their game but but physically um, like if you watch you know David Joplin and he's another guy that picked up a Mizzou offer and looks like you know Mizzou's in a position where they could, you know, really make a serious run at him. Initially, a lot of people will probably see a guy like that and see him kind of unranked, um, you know, unranked three star. Okay. Now we're what, like, what are we, what are we really going for here? But then you watch the tape of the guy and you see, you see a, a guy who from one year, then the next year just looked like a completely different player. You, you watch him from the summer and then you watch him, uh, in his high school tape, and he just looks physically stronger, uh, bigger through the shoulders, filled out chest wise. More, just looks more athletic. Uh, I mean, watch him off one foot. His one foot jump is there's some bounce there now. Yeah. So, I think that's one of those things. It's 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 tough because you know maybe Brookshire does get to be six foot four. Maybe he doesn't hit six four until he's you know a freshman in college. Uh, maybe it's a sophomore in college, but what is it that you're you're buying at this point of the program? You're buying a guy with a proven ability to make shots, and he does it in a lot of different levels. I imagine a lot of different ways. I imagine that he may have some issues finishing around the rim initially, um, mainly because he's not explosively athletic. Um, he is a little bit more crafty, a little more smooth, uh, but he is a guy that I think you watch him with his body control now, and you can see him developing into a guy that will become a really good finisher around the rim, even if he doesn't have that really elite athleticism. I, I think you probably, and, and he, I don't really think you're going to compare him to Drew Smith, but I think Drew Smith is kind of a similar guy in that he's not overwhelmingly athletic, um, but he knows how to use his body. Uh, he knows how to create space around the rim, uh, and he knows how to finish. And so I think what you're doing with, with Brookshire is you're buying a guy who has the potential to develop into the kind of talent that you can really build a lot of things around. Uh, and and really, there's there's nothing that this roster needs more than just a dude who can make shots and one of my favorite things of watching all the tape, and, and this includes, uh, you know, plenty of game tape. Uh, and a lot of games that I, I, I think two or three, uh, maybe four games you can watch that are at the uh, JQH uh, in, uh, yeah, in, in Springfield where there's the college three-point line actually on the floor. And he's he's hitting from two to three feet, yeah. two to three feet behind. He's comfortable shooting from deep, and you know, for a team that has really struggled to shoot the ball in a lot of ways, um, you know, having a guy that, as a freshman, could at least do that, I think would uh, would be a big help. Yeah, I think the one thing that impresses me is, you know, if you you have to kind of hunt and dig for it, it's on the Ozark Independent site, which is kind of an independent uh, outlet. 
um, in southwest Missouri, they have the entire game tape of um, Kickapoo versus Greenwood uh, Lab School, which um, if you're if you're following us and you're listening to us, you know that that's Aminu Muhammad's school. And so in their game, Muhammad just went bonkers. I think he scored 49 out of Greenwood Lab 65. He was their offense. So you're going to like just – get caught watching him but if you watch he's he's physically impressive uh he can't shoot outside to save his life i mean it's it's any, but anybody's man, when he gets guess going north south <laughs> like when he pulls God up from three you. it's like it's anybody's guess where it's going to end up but you get him inside 15 feet and he's he's a terror i mean god help those kids in two ways <laughs> i watched them play my dad's alma mater uh my high school alma mater orient a couple of years ago and my dad was watching too, and he texted me. He goes, he goes, just praying for the boys right now. <laughs> just, <laughs> he goes, he goes, they don't, they, they're slow rotating to help side already. <laughs> and against that kid who they're never going to see ever again in the boot heel. <laughs> yeah. Um, that kid needs to go play at like a 5A school in some state. But if you watch Brookshire in that game, dude, Scored 22 points, I think, off something like 9 for 11 shooting. Like, an easy 22. I think he canned, like, three of... I think he canned three of five threes in that ballgame. And, like, one is off a ball screen where a guy goes under, which was a mistake. One is where he rejects a ball screen, attacks the outside foot of the defender, gets him off balance, brings the ball back, hits a jumper. And the other one was a catch and shoot. There are some where he's working off the ball. Where he, I think the one thing I like that Springfield Kickapoo does is they they put their big kind of in the pinch post and they have him kind of operate as a passer and have guards play off of him. So you'll see um, you'll see uh, Brookshire come off double staggers on a wing. You'll see him kind of flare. You'll see him run AI cuts for him. Basically, you'll see him do a lot of stuff off the ball and play off a big in a different spot on the floor and free himself. He's got a good sense of when to cut off the ball. There's just a lot of stuff that I enjoy. Like, a lot of his highlight tapes are him handling, but if you watch that game tape, to watch him move off the ball is really impressive. I think that that's something sometimes you don't see from a lot of guys that age, is just the ability to understand how to work and how to move constantly and what they want to do and move with a purpose. You know, he's not just drifting around the floor. When he's cutting, he's cutting with purpose. He's trying to get to a spot. He's trying to create space he's trying to create separation i think that's one thing like you talked about earlier is if a guy's already been kind of taught to do that and has that sort of ability already you'll bet on that you'll and you'll hope that you know if he is 6'2 that that size helps him um and you'll hope that he'll get a little bit stronger um the one thing i think he does have going for him well is he already has kind of a nice little nifty floater inside of 10 feet that he uses uh, he can get it off over bigger defenders. Uh, he did that a couple times on tape. So I think what you and I are probably saying, if we had to distill it down, is he's just got a ton of skill. And if there's one thing you want to bet on, bet on that. And, you know, you that's why you pay a strength and conditioning coach. That's why you have training tables. That's why he comes to a college program. But if he's already got a lot of skill coming through the door, that that's a great place to start. So I'm I'm pretty happy with this edition, um, and I do think that if there is any kind of uh, live period at all, there's a real possibility that he moves up. Um, but if he doesn't, I am still going to bet on the kind of talent that he has. Uh, Joplin, we already kind of discussed that offer went out, um, and I think same night. Yeah, same night. So it was like. Uh, he was offered by Joplin. Butler that day, and then was it the same Mizzou day? Got to him. Yeah, uh, he was offered that morning. Mizzou got to him in early evening. UNLV's offered. I think it's just a matter of when Marquette and Iowa State pull the trigger. At least that's what I've what I was told last week. Um, I, I that's another guy where, like you said, you watched the tape over a couple of years and. You can just see a, a role for him right away. Um, I I think I told somebody that he reminds me a little bit of Bryce Hopkins, who Missouri tried to start, who Missouri tried to recruit last year. Yeah. He he shut that down pretty quickly and committed to Louisville, and then his stock just blew up. But it blew up because um, Hopkins had a similar build, um, sturdily built, strong, physically mature, but. Um, 
he still had a little bit of, of extra weight on him, but he slimmed down. And once that happened, just his lateral agility and his ability to kind of play off the bounce got better. And he just shot up the rankings. You watch Joplin, and I think you kind of alluded to it, already has a little bounce to him. He's already athletic. Um, the one thing I like about him is he, he's got a natural just he's got a natural shot. Um, shoots a little bit of a toe raise jumper, but he doesn't have to explode into it. But his shot mechanics look good. I mean, when you're six um, seven, also you yeah yeah you don't need to you don't need to elevate that. I much. mean, Jordan but, Barnett kind of did the same thing. So yeah, same <laughs> thing. Uh, I mean, that's that's just me watching. That's the one thing that stands out. I'm not saying it's it's a obviously not a deal breaker, right. but that's a guy that um, if you can again, it's just like any you get him into a good strength and conditioning program. Suddenly, you know, you unlock something there for him and you unlock his physical potential. But the one thing I like is that he's a guy who can already sort of hit spot-up jumpers, but if you watch him on tape, and I think I tweeted this out, he's got really good footwork operating on the low block and working uh, and creating space for kind of, you know, uh, step backs and little kind of mid-range jumpers there. And and he hits those pretty consistently, which I like because that becomes a guy who now you can, you know, have him down screen and then, you know, get a favorable switch and bury a guard in the post and he can operate there and get and create a shot. He's a guy who in the open floor runs to a spot and can hit shots in the corner. He can run the wing on the break and attack the rim. If he's got a spot up ability, you can pick and pop him or you can just space him to a wing. You know, even if you don't need him to be a guy who puts a ball on the deck early, he's a guy whose shot, whose shooting ability and just his ability to exploit mismatches can give him a role and so i i think that's another guy where you watch him and you think oh he's not in the top 150 right now but there's some skill sets that i think can translate and if he were out on the circuit right now you know given what colleges are pursuing him i think you'd see him you know make some headway in the ranking so this might be a case where again the staff might you know have been you know solid in trying to get in early and buy some stock and it does look like uh, they've at least made an early impression. I mean, he's been pretty receptive, uh, you know, to Mizzou already. And I, I think that that's one of those situations where, if, and I kind of feel, I think you kind of alluded to something similar that if you're getting in on a kind of combo forward that a school like Butler is uh, is interested in, then you're probably doing okay because they're. Uh, history with uh, that position has been pretty solid, and uh, and I think Joplin is a guy that that would fit in really well at Butler. I think he would fit in really well at Missouri, and uh, and hopefully the the Tigers can kind of maintain, um, I guess their interest and 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 be able to get him in the fold. I think that even though the, like the rankings aren't super high on guys like you know Brookshire and and Joplin, if you have those two within your class. Um, I think you you have guys that are going to be really big difference makers, uh, you know, for a long period of time. And I think we can. This sort of leads us into what kind of the bigger picture about what this class is, because th- they're going to need to fill spots. They could have six, five, six, seven slots they've got to fill next year. And you know, I, I see, you know. Or I've been I get tweeted at that you know you know Conzo needs a big haul this year and my sort of thought is that's just not going to happen. There's not going to be a monster class with three top fifty guys in it. It's just not the way you know the in-state crop is not particularly um, top heavy this year as it has been the past couple of years. So you're not going to be you're not going to have guys like Caleb Love or Cam Fletcher or even like an EJ Liddell or Courtney Ramey, there's not like a, a bona fide top 50 kid, at least right now, you know, in the region. And if you're trying to get into Michigan right now, um, you know, Pierre Brooks has already come off the board. Julian Roper liked Missouri. Um, I think Missouri would have been a factor had he been able to get to campus. That just wasn't in the cards. Um, he commits to Northwestern, you know, I think a couple weeks ago, or last week he committed to Northwestern. So now two guys are off the board, and you know two wings are off the board, and now you're down to Kobe Bufkin, Jade Nakins, in that state, and you know uh, prying them out is going to be hard. You know I think it's it's going to be tough 
to pull them, especially, you know, if Michigan State wants either of them. If, you know, Michigan State wants Aikens right now, that's going to happen. I think if Bufkin gets prioritized by Jawan Howard, I think that's going to be a tough pull. So it's – there's not, like, ready-made solutions or home runs in this class. We'll see what Tamar Bates – you know, what they can do with Tamar Bates. We can talk about him and his situation in a bit. But the point here is, like, you're going to – I think you're going to need to find guys like Brookshire or Joplin – or even a guy like Yaya Keita, who, man, that guy is raw, but he is—he has an insane motor. He is physically built, and he will get on the glass. He will, you know, give you a physical presence. He's a guy you can stick in the short corner, and you're gonna hope that you can flesh out his skill level when he gets to campus. But I think the overall objective right now is less should be less on finding home runs than it should be on what we've talked about, which are. Finding guys that, you know, have some defined skill sets that you can, you know, flow them into some roles and really flesh them out and develop them. I think that's where they're going to have to be. And maybe when they go into next spring, they're going to have to try and maybe find some instant impact guys on the transfer market. That That's just sort of where I start when I assess this class and kind of the trajectory it's on in May. So... You, you kind of talked on uh, Aikens and Bufkin, and I think of the the two there, Bufkin is probably a little more likely. Reachable. He's a little bit more gettable. Um, and mainly because from all intel, it seems like Aikens has been prioritized by Michigan State. And that's, that's always going to be tough to to talk a, a Michigan kid out of uh, out of Michigan or Michigan State offer when they're a priority. And I, so I think that the hope with, with Bufkin um, is more that Michigan State and Michigan have both prioritized other guys. And we are seeing some evidence of that right now. Um, you know, like both, both of those schools tend to swim uh, in, in deeper waters when it comes to recruits because they do have the ability to reach nationally. Uh, so if there are guys in that sort of point guard, combo guard position, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I think, I think if, if Michigan state were given a choice between Aikens and Bufkin, and I think ultimately that's probably what it's going to come down to that. They would probably take Aikens. Um, if Michigan is looking then at, at, uh, at Bufkin or, you know, another player who's maybe say from uh, Florida or or you know Illinois or Ohio or something, uh, they might be more willing to talk Buffkin into waiting to see what happens with that other player first. Which, when that happens, that tends to kind of push the guys that are a lower priority for the homeschool into the hands of another school, and I think that's where. A situation where a school like Missouri could really kind of pounce and uh, and jump in and, and show Bufkin that he is a priority for them. Um, I think the foundation, if you can get a guy like uh, Yaya Keita um, and then complement him with a guy like David Joplin, the goal then should be adding one more uh, top end piece probably like a combo guard level player who can step in and play right away. And to me, the, the two clear cut guys that sort of fit that role that I think are gettable for Missouri are Bufkin uh, and Tamar Bates. Um, obviously, you know, Bates with the Kansas interest is, is tough because I think a lot of people assume that uh, he He's a lock. Yeah, he's a lock for Kansas, but I I tend to think that uh, my read on the situation is that the family and and Tamar are being smart about this, and they they understand that the the kind of class that Kansas puts together on a regular basis tend to be pretty good, um, and the possibility exists that he could sign on and get over recruited. Or if Kansas gets smacked coming out of this NLA with all kinds of fun uh, postseason bans and other restrictions, 
suddenly you're not committing to full strength Kansas or or you're committing to uh, um, I'm trying to think probation Kansas. You're trying it's it's a little bit there's uncertainty either way there. Um, and I think the one thing that will be interesting is what the move to IMG Academy, uh, which he announced he'll be doing that for his senior year, what that does for his recruitment. Um, you know, I, they've been on a trajectory to decide at the end of the summer, um, which would mean that he would not play, which would mean that he would decide probably before IMG goes out on the prep circuit. And IMG is... You know, a team that plays in big-time national showcases, they play a national schedule. Um, you know, they you know, they have plenty of attention and eyes on him. If you were, if you're making that move and looking to up your offers, maybe you back it up to a spring commitment. You go through a year with IMG, see what kind of interest you garner. But that comes with the downside risk of other schools are going to potentially fill their classes up, and if you don't hit, if you don't have the kind of year you anticipate. Now you're kind of scrambling a little bit, or you could be, you could see your options winnowed. So, what happens with Bates will be interesting. You know, as we learned today, the dead period is going to go through June. So, Missouri and other schools can't host a guy like Bates on campus. That just can't happen. Um, they can do Zoom visits, they can do whatever other virtual interaction they want. But the real question will be to me with a guy like Bates is do we have a July period? Is he able to get out with Casey run GMC, play some Under Armour Association events, you know, put on display what, you know, he showcased during a prep season where he was he he bulked up, he was stronger, he was playing more on the ball. Um, he is really, you know, his he's gotten a little bouncier um, as he's matured. Um, he's always been a tough finisher and a tough player, but that's even bigger now. Um, you know he's and now he's playing a little bit more downhill, not just a pure spot up guy anymore, showcasing some passing. If that shows up on the Under Armour circuit, and then, you know if we have one in July, um, then I think his stock goes up, and we could see what happened with Caleb Love, where you know Caleb you know had a huge jump, you know in the summer period before his senior year. And kind of played his way out of the you know the typical um, range of the recruiting rankings that Missouri might find some success. So Bates moving forward is is going to be interesting to monitor. One, like I said, is there any chance for a July blow up to happen? And if there's no July period, does he decide to continue with a timeline to commit in the fall, or does he back that up and you know play with IMG through a prep year and see what happens? So. All that's uncertain right now, but I think that's one thing to monitor with him is, uh, you know, when, you know, what does the timeline look like for him? Um, because I think he's a guy if, you know, he keeps the list pretty tight right now. I think I think you feel good about where Missouri is and, 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 and you know, nothing's ever certain, but I think you feel good about the position they've put themselves in to maybe find some success there. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, I think if I had my druthers, I'd, the class of you know Bates and uh, Brookshire and Joplin and Kaida would really kind of get me excited. Um, no, you feel well, yeah, but you feel well, yeah, you feel your you filled spots created by the departures of Mark Smith and Drew Smith. Um, you fill Mitchell Smith's spot at combo forward, and you get a high ceiling guy there. And Kate is a guy who I think you can flex between the four and five in different lineups and you know that's a good bet on him and then i think you go into the transfer market you know i i'm not sure if you want to hunt for a post and a wing on the transfer market you know obviously we have no clue what can happen a year from now but i think that's kind of what i would want to see happen is you fill two combo guard spots a combo forward a flex post player and then you kind of go find a wing in another post in the transfer market yeah i think we we have no idea whatsoever what to expect from gonna... like jordan wilmore <laughs> so i have to think you like if if wilmore hits campus and is like you know gangbusters in the post then i you know i think you feel pretty good about him going into his sophomore year but i don't think either of us really expect that um 
you know, so if, if he is more of a reserve guy, uh, just you're going to need to find some more, uh, somebody who can kind of score in and around the basket and, and be kind of a threat, you know, down low. Um, I'm not a, you know, guy who's going to be out here saying you need a guy who's going to, you know, put his butt on the block uh, and post up for uh, 35 minutes a game. I'd like to find a mobile big. But, I mean, but you do want somebody who can who can finish around the rim. You do want somebody who can, uh, you know, work within the framework of the offense and, and you know, be good on pick and rolls and, uh, you know, and when there's a drive, find a way to, you know, get to the dunker spot and, you know, and either catch lobs or dump offs and, uh, and, and be able to kind of finish those kinds of plays. Um, Cause you know, particularly in the SEC with, with so many athletic big men uh, who are so willing to try to meet you at the rim. Um, Missouri hasn't really been blessed. I mean, Tillman's pretty good at it, um, you know, but I think that's one of the areas where Mitchell Smith really struggles. I think, you know, Nico, his size and his, uh, his you know, broad shoulders kind of helps a little bit, but, you know, he still would get blocked by wings. Um, so I think that's probably what you're, you're kind of hoping to find. Um, but at this point, I, I think you're looking at probably a, a, a three to four man class. Um, and then mainly because I think they're going to, uh, set up the one time transfer rule to be a go and, and next spring, it's going to be a free for all <laughs> for transfers. Uh, and it, I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of guys that get, uh, approved for, um, you know, a play right away, uh, waiver. Um, but next year, I think they're, you know, they're going to have that rule in place. So you can transfer one time with no penalty. Uh, and I think what you're going to see then is you're going to see a, a lot of guys in the move. Um, and I, so my thought is that what you do is because Missouri, uh, so let's say, you know, best case scenario, Missouri has a really good season. Uh, you know, they're graduating a bunch of players, you know, maybe, you know, Torrance Watson is able to kind of figure something out and and get back to kind of the guy that we thought, or we hoped, uh, we were getting, uh, when he committed. Um, and then you have a really good recruiting class. You have this, this four man recruiting class, uh, you know, the guys that we just talked about, well, now you have this like framework of a team that could be pretty good, but they're still kind of missing, you know, one piece. And they're coming off a season where, uh, you know, they were maybe in the NCAA tournament. And even though they were a lower seed, there's still an opportunity for, for guys to kind of come in and be a, you know, a difference maker and uh, step in right away. So I think that uh, that becomes an attractive position for, uh, you know, a, a, a wing scorer, a guy who can get buckets on the wing. Um, and then maybe somebody, you know, who you can fit in around the basket. Uh, and that, that's kind of the, uh, approach that I think would work. And I also think that there's a strong possibility, um, that if, you know, Pinson has a good year, uh, going into next year that he bounces no matter what his draft stock is. Yeah. The one thing, I think the hardest part about this too is, you know, we've talked about, um, you have six freshmen. And I, I, you take a six-man class of freshmen, that doesn't solve your roster balancing. The one thing about taking two transfers is you can try and do uh, some roster smoothing and, and get some balance back across classes again so you're not uh, in a spot where you're having to just do this every year. This is kind of a, you know, if there had not been um, exits by McKinney and Jackson, I think this would have looked like a maybe a little bigger than expected class, but you know, those two defections have sort of put them in a bind where there's going to be a lot of churn. So I think you've got to try and also find a way to not just, yeah, I think you have to solve short-term needs, which we've talked about here on the transfer market, but also try and ensure that you have a little bit of, of balance moving forward. So that's, that's the other thing that can be achieved by going into the transfer market next spring. Yeah. So if you have, uh, so if you have Bates and Brookshire, and even if Pinson comes back, um, you're still probably going to need one more guy who can handle the ball. Um, and then you would have Pickett, Watson, Kobe Brown. 
Uh, Ed Chang, no idea what he's going to provide. Uh, Parker Brown, Brown, and Jordan Wilmore. Uh, and like it's kind of like I said, we don't really know what we're going to get from Jordan Wilmore, so you probably want to have one more post. You get a guy combo forward. Um, after watching Kobe Brown for a year, I think I actually kind of like him more as a wing than I do um, at that combo forward spot. I'd like to... Uh, if you get Joplin or K- and Joplin K, you can bump him to a wing spot. So maybe that solves your need for the wing. Yeah, you know, I think if you had like Pinson and then then what you would probably do is have like Pinson and Brown and, uh, you know, maybe Bates at your combo guard spot. Uh, and then you can kind of fit around uh, maybe another freshman or a um, an upperclassman, you know, transfer um, on the combo forward and the in the post spot. I think at that at that point you're starting to kind of form a, a roster that um, you can make another run in an NCAA tournament, and now you're starting to kind of build classes again. And I think that that's one of the things that when he lost, when Conzo Martin kind of lost a few of the recruiting battles that I think they were really really hoping to win early on. Um, they ended up kind of t- making some concessions with some guys uh, in transfers, and and now they're at a point where their their roster management is a little bit of a mismatch. Um, and it is what it is at this point. Like I, I think that if you are able to kind of put together this season and have a good year, uh, have a good freshman class, you know, coming in then you're kind of back on the right track, but they really at some point need to kind of fill in these two middle classes. Um, as of right now, uh, the 2021 roster consists of uh, two juniors, a sophomore, and a freshman. Um, you got to get and, old and stay old, man. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the, the ultimate idea, right, is that you have uh, a progression of classes, and so you're... you're, you're um, like you want to be able to kind of have guys with experience coming back on a regular basis, and and I think the the idea of just having nothing but like these four year guys is, um, I mean it's probably never going to be like that again. But you still have to find a way to kind of balance those classes. So you do have uh, returning people coming back. You do have uh, more talented guys, and then you know maybe by then we have uh, name, image, and likeness laws in place, and we can actually start getting some of these guys to, you know get some money and stay in school a little longer. It'll be interesting to see what the season looks like. And we'll talk about this closer to the season whenever uh, it takes place. Um, The schedule is not exactly shaping up. I mean, I love the schedule so far, um, but well, it's a tough schedule, but it's also like the, the benefit of the schedule is, you'll is get, that re- realistically you could be like seventeen and fourteen at the end of the year and still make the NCAA tournament because your schedule is so good? Yeah, you'll get the the committee. This is one of those deals where the NCAA selection committee said we want to see teams take on quality road and neutral site games. Well, Missouri is is going to achieve that objective. Um, <laughs> uh, going to Wichita State, neutral versus Kansas, neutral versus Illinois. Three neutral site games where they could play improved Pitt, improved Nebraska, Dayton, Loyola Chicago, Utah State. Three really, really good mid-majors. I mean, it's... Oh, and they got the Big 12 SEC Challenge mixed in there, too. Which, maybe that's maybe that will be a home game. Maybe... Oh, and Utah. They got Utah. I mean, the... Be prepared, folks, to see the other four or five home games. Uh... Be a little bit lighter fare. We'll call it that. <laughs> like, I don't want to see Missouri well, fans and, and, griping about how the other four home games are obviously by games. That, that, you know, that that's what's needed, given what they've taken on here. They could potentially have seven or eight top 100 opponents in, in the non-con alone. It's... And not all of them, and only maybe two of those games will be in Columbia. Yeah. So that's that's the other thing sort of looming here, too, is, you know, if they've got to put together, you know, if, if the idea for Martin to inject stability is to, one, put together a recruiting class that stabilizes those 
you know, the middle classes that we've talked about and also put together a quality on-court product, you know, he's facing some challenges. I, I think that's, that's just the point I want to get to is the recruiting calendar's absolutely been torpedoed here. Um, that creates challenges in terms of putting together a class. And because of what's happened, you know, to potentially with athletic budgets and having to go to more regional based scheduling, Missouri's taken on uh, a really tough non-conference schedule and they could, you know, we'll have to see what the Birmingham office does, but the SEC slate could be really daunting. So he may, you know, we've talked before about how Conzo needs to catch some breaks. The schedule could be really daunting this year and in a year where he, and in a class where he needs to really put together something of substance and durability, the recruiting calendar is absolutely shot to hell. So, you know, we, you know, we're pleased to see the Brookshire commitment. And I think that's why that news is so welcome because that's a guy that, and a, and a pickup that you want to see that can, as the kind of pickup this class is going to need. And it's the kind of news that the program needs right now. We'll see if they can build off it because moving forward, there's, there's going to be some built in challenges that, that um, are going to test the capability of the program and of the staff. And, you know, we always, we, joke a lot offline um about zoe and his uh his luck since he's been at missouri um maybe he's just been saving it all up for this this upcoming year because <laughs> it has not uh he has not been the luckiest coach in 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 Cibolet. there's there's been some brutal injuries uh you know really poor timing things that just do not seem to go missouri's way and now, in a class where he needs uh, to be out there hustling on the recruiting trail, the NCAA is basically saying, nah, you can't do that. <laughs> this is, uh, and I think you joked about it a couple weeks ago. This could be a year where they go 7-6 and six and 8-5 and five in non-con and legitimately be better than they were a year ago. It's yeah. just... It's, I, 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 like, I think it's realistic that this team ends up, you know... Because like, we talked about it last year, like... If if they get things to kind of go their way, um, and really if all all everybody played all year, Missouri was kind of playing like around a top fifty team by the time Tillman went down. Um, obviously, things weren't really trending great. They had a horrible loss with Tillman, you know, but they were still playing at a level you feel like things would have been okay. Um, I I think with you know another year and and just with a little bit of luck, this team can can still be the kind of team that we thought they could be last year, which is like a top, uh, you know, top 40 uh, level team. And it's very possible that they are like, and 40 in Kempom, we'll say, you know, 45th in Kempom and be 500 non-conference play. Like that's the kind of conference schedule or non-conference schedule that they're they're playing. Um, And it's, I mean, if they're, seven and six everyone's going to be like grumbling and ready to fire martin it's going to be like man they've got like losses to kansas illinois. <laughs> it's just like like i i realize like yeah kansas illinois uh you know uh, wichita state on the road um they had a close win over missouri state on the road it's just like geez like can we get this man some luck i just Let's uh let let's all put in um you know all, Zoe gets lucky this year things go his way uh and 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 those some of those close losses uh, become close wins and and Missouri finds their way back in the NCAA tournament that's that's all I'm hoping for man it's just a little bit of change in luck I mean I I like the the, the schedule I'm I. You know, I know there are going to people be people who dislike going to play at Missouri State, and and I have heard you, and I understand all the reasons why. Um, there's some opposition to it, um, you know, even down to the fact that you know there are fights in the state legislature over funding levels, and you know, kind of the, you know, the support that Missouri State's given versus Missouri. There's all that kind of stuff that happens to me. It's just an interesting game, man. 
I would rather Missouri, you know, take a road trip to SMS than play Chicago State at home. I would rather them go play SLU than have a dead atmosphere against Moorhead State the second week of December. I would rather them go play Wichita State on the road, even if that's tough, than, you know, have Northern Kentucky at home. I I just think that those are games that if you're a fan of the sport in general and writ large, you want to see. Those are the matchups you want to see. And, you know, when you look at those teams on paper right now, Wichita State may not be the kind of Wichita State people expect. They had, I think, six scholarship guys leave and go into the transfer portal. Missouri State lost three seniors and had three guys transfer. You know, so those are going to be tough games, you know, just given, you know, what we saw from Missouri this year and, you know, hoping that they improve. But those games, I think you have to keep in mind, too. The other team changes as well. But I'm glad that we get to see those two, you know, those matchups, you know, as opposed to, you know, just a bye game and, you know, an arena where, you know, maybe – is forty percent of the seats are filled, so that's that's my rant that I wanted that I wanted to squeeze in at the end is. I get the argument about optics and sometimes against you know going too slow or SMS, but man, I'll take that over a crappy buy game any day of the week. Well, yeah, and I think if there is a sort of benefit to uh, to some of the, I guess budget challenges that a lot of schools are going to face with the uh, you know the economic impact of covid is i do think you're going to see a lot of what we've kind of been clamoring about for a couple of years now in this podcast is is more regional scheduling um in the non-conference which will make college basketball vastly more interesting so maybe you don't care about watching like i don't know uh what Furman versus yukon or something um, i would love that but, game but i'm weird but right, but it's like, like regionally, I think you're gonna see more games where, uh, you know, teams that are that are closer to each other are gonna be more likely to play. I think when you see that at like, I I think it's great that North Carolina in the last few years has willingly gone to places, um, like uh, where where yeah, Wooford. And uh, and they went went to another place. Was it Asheville or Greensboro? Um, but they did another like yeah, it was another state school. Uh, and they went on the road and played that game. And I just I would much rather like see games like that, you know, than I mean, like I really never want to see North Florida ever, ever again. again at Mizzou Arena. I never want to see like. Even even though the game ended up being fun, like the Stephen F. Austin game, uh, and even though I, I have a lot of respect for that program and what they've done like the last few years, I don't care about Missouri playing Stephen F. Austin. You know who should play Stephen F. Austin is Texas A&M, Texas, uh, LSU. Um, like these are the regional games that I think would be far more interesting uh, than than you know like paying for a team to fly up. Uh, you know, to Columbia from, you know, who knows where. This will this will be the slate that you could possibly see: Wichita State, Kansas, Illinois, Missouri State. They could see Nebraska at the Myrtle Beach game, and let's say they get Oklahoma State in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. That's a that's a great slate regionally. That is fantastic because you're gonna and Kansas, Illinois, Missouri State. And let's say the Big 12 SEC game is in Columbia and like Oklahoma State. Those could all be within two hours of Columbia or in Columbia. That's that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal slate. Your fan bases and your alumni in St. Louis, Kansas City, and Springfield get games. You know, the Wichita State game is certainly interesting. Like, there's just, it's just interesting in totality. And, it's going to be salty and it's going to be a tough schedule, but I'm going to enjoy watching those games. I'm going to enjoy seeing those matchups. And, and, and I hope that, you know, folks can at least appreciate it from that perspective. I'm with you. So, uh, 
you're working on a couple pieces. Yeah, I'm I'm piddling away on a on a piece uh, that kind of takes a deeper look at um, Missouri's pace and you know how it plays and sort of what goes into that. Um, I think that's really interesting. Uh, and sort of you know what tweaks could happen um, or they could take to uh, play faster. Um, I'm hopefully going to have that early next week, and uh, I'm picking away at kind of an SEC um, appraisal and kind of just where the conference stands right now. Now that we have guys who've declared for the draft, and hopefully I'll start getting uh, to do some recruit profiles and stuff like that. That's that's also on the horizon if I can get these other two pieces checked off. Uh, I'm not working on anything other than trying to get these uh, last what ifs published. Um, I hope people have been enjoying those. Uh, I've actually enjoyed kind of going back and reviewing some of the stuff that uh, that Bill um build it because bill i mean has always kind of done these what if posts so it's it's interesting that sb nation decided to kind of do it this week so it's allowed me to kind of revisit some of the stuff that he used to do um so yeah so we've got a couple more coming uh those this week and uh last thing i was gonna oh uh cocktail of the week matt you uh have a cocktail of the week you want to talk about not really we uh, we don't, we don't do the curbside pickup for cocktails. And I have sort of been telling myself what I want to do is wait until we can have outdoor seating again. So I can go with Ellery to an outdoor restaurant, socially distanced away from people. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a place that we really like in Indianapolis called Thunderbird that does a whole bunch of really good stuff. And they have a great patio and go sit there, order a drink and, uh, sort of try to decompress uh indianapolis is targeting may 22 uh assuming uh the epidemiology uh forecast holds um so i have not had a cocktail lately it's just been uh bourbon straight up and with a little bit of ice but i am pointed to may 22 uh for a cocktail here so i'm going to uh assault stanley tucci again uh no i'm gonna talk about a a black manhattan um so i think a lot of people are probably familiar with a manhattan which is traditionally uh two parts bourbon or rye whiskey uh an ounce of uh one part um of uh sweet vermouth and then a few dashes of bitters finish off with a uh a cherry or a twist lemon depending on your preference um but a black manhattan is when instead of a a sweet vermouth that you actually use an amaro Uh, and amaro is a lot like vermouth it's a similar uh, alcohol by volume Um, it tends to be a little more floral at times and it usually has like one thing that they sort of use as their main base one of my favorite uh substitutions in a black manhattan is actually to use uh something called chinar it's a c-y-n-a-r uh, it is an artichoke based um amaro a liqueur and uh so it's called black Man- manhattan um the amaro tends to turn the manhattan a little darker than um you know than a regular manhattan uh and then add your in, in your bitters so my recommendation two ounces of rye whiskey one ounce of chinar a twist of lemon um, to to stir in, uh, and it is a a really really nice cocktail, very earthy, um, but it can complement all the way kind of into the summer if you uh, if you like kind of fun things in the summer. So hit me up on Twitter if you want uh, more info on Black Manhattans. Um, you can follow me at Sam T Snelling. Uh, Matt is on Twitter also. I don't know what his Twitter profile is. It's it's mostly trash. So this is true. <laughs> this is true. Uh Matt J Harris eighty five. Yeah. Um yeah. that's it, right? Yeah, uh so that's, that's it. it. Any and all complaints about this trash podcast <laughs> go to Mitch Hill who's already sending me messages about whether or not we're done. Um so yes, Mitch, we are done. We're and we're wrapping this up. Uh, go subscribe to the podcast 
And I think the guys from uh, Before the Box Score will be back next week. So until then, thanks for tuning in. And uh, stay healthy, everybody. <laughs>